you know, at the end of the day, I recognise people have got their own verdicts. It's the same with supporting a football team. You know, I can respect other people's opinions on different football teams and that sort of thing. If if someone wants to support Arsenal, then they can support Arsenal for all I care. You know, um, and it's the same with, you know, if they're neurotypical or neurodiverse. At the end of the day, we've just got to be positive about that aspect of our lives and say, look, you know, don't treat me any differently, but at the same time, let me be myself, because at the end of the day, we can't thrive if we're not ourselves. Hello friends and thank you for joining me for the Way Forward podcast brought to you by me, Fliss Goldsmith and Co-Design Coaching, where we create your optimal life together. Today I'm so very pleased to be welcomed by Fred Goff, who has taken some time out from his important work with the University of Derby to talk to us today about living with autism. Fred, welcome to The Way Forward and thank you for agreeing to come and chat with us today. Thank you very much for inviting me. Not at all. Now, Fred, before we dive into the intricacies of life with autism, I would just like to share with the listeners um, a little bit of background information um, about you. So, Fred grew up in Derbyshire. And though he was aware early on that he was different to other children his age, he did not have a diagnosis of autism. Um, He then went to live in Lincolnshire for a short time due to his father's work commitments. But in 2007, he came back to Derbyshire and determined to increase his opportunities for work. He enrolled with the University of Derby. Since then, he has graduated despite the pandemic trying to get in the way and now works for the University of Derby in the Research and Knowledge Exchange Office. From there, Fred has added public speaker, politics and EDI work to his many stringed bow. And the absolute cherry on the cake is that, like me, he is an avid Derby County fan. Come on, you rams! (laughs) So, Fred, that's really a pencil sketch of your wonderful life. But I would like it, please, if you would take us right back and elaborate on what life as a neurodivergent child without a diagnosis was like. Yeah, I mean, it was was an interesting upbringing. I mean, I'm fortunate that obviously I'm an only child and parents obviously wanted the best for me. So they put me into, you know, educational providers of schooling that was obviously going to be having very very good pastoral support and encouragement for me to get the best out of me you know almost one-to-one attention rather than being almost isolated in a big pack of other children who obviously were neurotypical um and being able to get on with life at general pace that most people can get on with um i was very shy i was very introverted you know, I didn't, I had obviously interests of my own that 
you know not many people got so therefore you know I sort of kept myself to myself I didn't really attain friends that very easily um yes I had friendships but you know they were not sort of strong bonds it took me a long time to really get connections with people that I really felt close to and that sort of thing so yeah you know it was difficult and then obviously there's the you know as you go older in education you go through exams and stress with that you know I was um very fortunate obviously that you know my secondary school despite you know no diagnosis as we've alluded to you know sort of said yeah we can give you a little bit of a helping hand we can offer you extra time we can get you a word processor and that sort of thing to do the exams on and uh which you know was benefiting kind almost really and that obviously allowed me to get the nine G- gcses i attained um yes i had a little bit of a bump in the road when i came to my a levels i started with four subjects and at the end of that uh, as level i moved to only down to two because I found one extremely hard after about a term and the other one I, I just failed because it wasn't anywhere I was going so I ended my schooling with two A levels but I mean that's still a proud achievement when I was thinking you know absolutely most, most people would not get anywhere close to that when they're autistic or anything like that um you know and I feel very grateful for my parents you know, being able to find that right environment for me and encouraging me as I went along, you know, um, grateful to the teachers that I had at the time. Um, So, you know, they all gave me the environment that I needed at that particular point, really. Yeah, and it seems from what you're saying that, you know, you did have some really good support systems with your parents and your school and that you adapted to the situations that were put in front of you and coped remarkably well. Um, But obviously, you know, there were still things that you struggled with. And I wonder, what was it that led you to feel compelled to get a diagnosis or to find out, you know, that you were in fact autistic? I think there was multiple contributions about the main one obviously as we alluded to you know I started to do a later in life uh, degree uh, so I'd obviously worked as a IT administrator uh, for a local chartered accountancy firm um, for about a decade um, and I managed to cope okay with that you know I mean obviously you know it was a small firm so you know, it was not many people having to worry too much about my capabilities. I was obviously pushed into a sort of niche area where I could thrive and get development. But there was a bit of a glass ceiling towards the end of that time when I was there. You know, I felt compelled to sort of make progress in my career development because, you know, I was getting towards my late 20s. I was starting to etch my career and, um, mm sort of things I wanted to do outside of it like we alluded to interest in politics and that sort of thing and um you know I was starting to become a bit more sociable with people and that sort of thing and doing th- yeah. other things um on my own bat and so I made the very left field turned 
do and study occupational therapy at the University of Derby, um, which caught a few people off guard, but it was mainly because I wanted to help people. I wanted to, you know, give them a voice. And, um, you know, I decided after a holiday in Barcelona with my um, dad that, you know, I was wanting to put my notice in at some point. Um, we were living in the city of Derby at that point. My parents obviously were planning to move outside of that environment. So I sort of had a, f- a few sort of spokes in the pathway to work, what, thinking what I was going to do. Um, and over the course of the early part of 2017, I started to get myself prepared for going into full-time education again uh, obviously you know I managed to get onto the occupational therapy course um, and then eventually decided to try and fly the nest from my parents home for the first time by living in horse residence as well Um, which obviously was a big thing because yeah I've been fortunate that they always put a roof over my head and that sort of thing and yeah, it was a bit of a awkward start. You know, I didn't, the uh, first night of moving into halls, I, I actually went back home because it was only a 10-minute walk almost um, because I was a bit insular and that sort of thing. But, you know, I was pushed back out the next morning um, and then I had a little bit of a setback the first week. Um, you know, I've unfortunately heard of a friend I knew at primary school at unfortunately passed away um she was only my age and that felt you know I felt very grief stricken at that but you know I pushed myself again um to go again and I uh you know eventually became the student rep of that cohort because I felt quite empowered to do something um and eventually you know everything started to snowball quite well and then We got to sort of the crux of the mid part of the year and we're starting to plan for the placement. Um, when you're a vocational student at the University of Derby, you know, you have to do practical placements and certainly in occupational therapy, you're thrown into different environments. And I was sent out onto a community placement in the sort of the early part of the spring of 2018. Um with no real confidence almost uh, to be fair um you know for whatever reason I just fell apart with my I got social anxiety I got low mood um and obviously unfortunately that placement failed um so I sort of had to walk back to the university with tail between my legs sort of saying where do I go from here um they offered me alternatives to sort of try and get up and over the grade because if you fail two placements then unfortunately you can't continue um so i had the choice of going straight back out almost to another environment or waiting till the autumn or even waiting right till the next sort of spring Mm. Uh, i didn't really want to do the latter two because that would have meant i'd have had to have probably lost a lot of the contact I had with the cohort that I was in um, yeah. because it pushed me back a year. Um, 
so I sort of made the decision, right, I'm going to get back on the bike and ride it as soon as I can, um, which unfortunately probably the, the rookie mistake. Um, so I was sent to a sort of impatient uh, ward, uh, sent up to South Yorkshire, which didn't exactly help because at the time my p- parents were on the verge of potentially moving house again. Uh, they'd been renting since I moved into halls of residence. Um, and then we obviously they were on the verge of moving, but that house move fell through. Um, and obviously I was up in South Yorkshire for most of the week, but I was able to come back home at weekends to sort of stabilize myself a little bit. Yeah. But then, but after about three weeks of doing that, my dad came up to um, the hospital I was working at just to sort of check in and have a meal with me in the evening and that sort of thing. And I just suddenly had a panic attack. Um, and <clears throat> I was insoluble. You know, my dad, you know, stayed with me longer than he probably intended to, trying to make sure I was okay. Um, I sort of said to him, look, you know, you've got a hotel to go to, you've got work in the morning, I will just try and dust myself down and go again. But as I put my head on the pillow that night, you know, every minute felt like an hour, every hour felt mm. like a day. And I just obviously couldn't get any wink of sleep. And I had to get up at six in the morning for that role, even though I was living basically in the hospital in accommodation and... I sort of decided, right, I'm going to call my dad and say, I can't go in this morning. I'm frigid to actually achieve anything. And thankfully, he came back across to see me. He said, look, I'll sort it. I'll contact everyone. I'll go and talk to your supervisor and say that you're not well enough to come in. You're not going to continue. And obviously, my parents, thankfully, you know, said, look, you know, we'll just look after you and we'll do whatever we can to make sure that you're on the right track. Um, thankfully, you know, the wellbeing service at the University of Derby, you know, obviously was still open and it was able to sort of offer me advice and that guidance. Um, I've done the AQ50 test, um, Baron Cohen, test um in between the two placements and that was sort of hinting at an autism diagnosis i mean obviously it's it's only a quantitative so you can't sort of say it's the definite um but what it obviously sort of encouraged us to think okay well to get me over the line you know if i'm going to go down this route if i still want to do something then i need substantial evidence that i'm struggling in social yes. environments and doing that obviously meant you know putting myself onto the almost waiting list now thankfully when you are in full-time education you sort of fast-tracked you know because I mean as we've seen in news stories earlier this year you know the waiting list for diagnosis has oh. skyrocketed um, Absolutely, yeah. and it's it's terrible that people are vulnerable in that regard um you know I think my heart weeps for them at the end of the day because 
I'd hate to be in that position. So I was thankful that, you know, come the autumn when I decided to sort of de-enroll from the, the university programme, I transferred across to writing and publishing. And I sort of made the decision that, um, yeah, I was going to get these diagnoses. And thankfully, you know, I was able to get that within a few months. That's amazing. And I'm just just reflecting on what you've sort of shared with us there, Fred. And I want to say thank you, first of all, because I think you've been incredibly honest and vulnerable in sharing your very personal journey. But I know that's going to be hugely empowering to a lot of people listening because you've been able to articulate struggles that so many people are facing and are probably facing with less um, awareness and support. You know, when you talked about panic attacks and low mood, I mean, we're hearing so much more in um the press about mental health and that's a good thing you know we need to talk about it more and I myself have spoken about my own struggles with um, PTSD anxiety and depression and from the mental health side of it you know what would you say your experience has been in terms of support that you've been able to find for the for the mental health struggles so again, I mean, obviously, after again the diagnosis, I was fortunate that the University of Derby provided me with a sort of mentor that I could go to that was outside of my studies. So obviously, I had a personal tutor that would obviously look after the academic side, but then they would also have a, a DSA disabled student allowance mentor that could obviously sort of work on things on a week by week basis, almost prick mm. the balloon and sort of identify areas where I was feeling that vulnerability, where I was feeling that insecurity, um, not know, get over the little sort of blips that were affecting me and that sort of thing. Obviously, you know, before the pandemic occurred, that was a face-to-face meeting. Um, yeah. So I'd go in a little bit earlier before I had an evening lecture and I'd spend an hour talking to this mentor. She would obviously sort of ask me how the week had gone and whether anything was affecting me badly or, you know, if there anything that could help give me some life affirmations and that sort of thing, just to sort of pepper me up almost and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. De- demonstrate where I'd been positive and that sort of thing because you know it's difficult especially when you're trying to do assignments and that sort of thing how do you juggle that sort of pressure of yourself and that sort of thing and obviously having that communication and that sort of thing that was outside the scope of my parents who were still coming to terms with this is who I am yes they obviously understood my nature but we'd obviously never really talked about it and that sort of thing and obviously it's a big thing it's a big ch- obstacle to overcome um so you know it made sense for us to sort of have private conversations about certain things that I didn't want to talk about with my parents and that sort of thing but at the same time you know I still kept a very candid relationship with my parents and I always will do and I still do because they've been 
bedrock of my support um but it was nice to have that sort of support and you know i'd also reached out to other people i knew well i didn't know them that well at the time but i'd reached out to people who had got mental health issues on social media and that sort of thing and yeah developed friendships with them and that sort of thing and became almost their champion and advocates and that sort of thing as well and say look you know as much as my experience of low mood and anxiety isn't probably as great as yours I can still empathize and Mm. actually understand where you've come from um and you know that your voice is as valid as someone who's not got those challenges (laughs) and I want to sort of make make their life feel appreciated and that came back to me you know as a sort of oh I understand where you're coming from and you know now we've got very good friendships and hopefully that will continue to blossom really yeah that's it's amazing isn't it what a shared experience can do in bringing people together and you know looking at your life right now you've achieved so much and you know just from talking to you today and knowing the different areas that you are active in I know that there is so much more um incredible um things that are going to come from your life and you alluded to the fact that your parents have been you know the bedrock of your support um in enabling you to live such a full and honest life and I think that that is incredible and it's you know heartwarming to know that that family unit has been so so important to you so I think I'm now thinking about if there's people listening to this Fred and they're sort of nodding along or they're going okay that makes sense um maybe that they have a child in their life um or somebody they know and they they're hearing about neurodiversity they're wondering about you know autism or ADHD or or the the many different sort of um, diagnoses you can have in between looking at you know somebody who they can see clearly needs extra support but they, they don't really know what to do next what would your advice be to those people now I mean I think the main thing is to understand that autism and certainly any neurodiversity is it's a spectrum no individual is going to be exactly the same so you've got to sort of take it on a case-by-case basis um but you've got to also understand that there are obviously traits that would obviously be there so you, if you're seeing particular traits that you think are autistic or certainly neurodiverse uh, then you sort of got to think okay well where can I go for advice um, and have those conversations with people, you know, don't be afraid to go to your GP and say, I think that, you know, my child or someone I know is acting in a certain way. Do you think that that would help them and that sort of thing? There's plenty of good advice out there. There's the National Autistic Society, which has a plethora of information and even Mm -hmm. short courses that, people could take for parent, you know parents of young children and that sort of thing just to sort of understand how the autistic brain works and how that sort of affects things um 
there are good YouTubers out there that are putting a good word out there. Yes, there's a lot of bad information online, but mm. you know, if you look at the the right sort of role models and that sort of thing, then there are people out there. I mean, I will always make myself available for other people uh, personally. Um, you know, if people wanted to get in touch with me, then I would, you know, not sort of push them away. I'm always happy to sort of give my story in fuller detail than we've explained today. Um, I think. And how could know, they do that, Fred? If sorry, if somebody wanted to no. contact you, would that be on Facebook or uh, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn? I'm on pretty much every platform. Um, so and is that at Fred Goff? Have you got a particular handle that uh, they should look for? Uh, so on on Twitter slash X or whatever one Elon uh, Musk wants to call it nowadays. Uh, it's, yeah. Uh, at FJ J for uh, James D underscore Goff for Twitter, and then they say I'm just Fred Goff on Facebook and LinkedIn. <laughs> Yeah, fabulous. Um, I think that's really, you know, um, that's really wholehearted of you to offer that support out to people who are listening. So thank you. No, um, I mean, look, I want to help. <laughs> yeah, well, that that is clear from, you know, the passion with which you speak about um, autism and neurodiversity. Um, and, you know, I personally believe that emotional and mental wellness is the... Um, baseline for achieving an optimal life and you are living proof of that because you are living such an optimal life so fully and and that doesn't mean that it's always you know going perfectly because you're very honest about the struggles you have but you are living that fully um so I would love if you wouldn't mind Fred for you to um give us sort of one or maybe two it's up to you um pieces of sort of empowering ideas that um people listening could do right now to better support either their own emotional and mental wellness or to support somebody else whether they think they have a neurodiversity or not what 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 do you think that that would be i think the biggest thing is communication um i think if if, if we're all talking about things more um you know within our networks then i think you know that makes a big difference um you know i think since i obviously have become the person i am in the last few years certainly you know i've been a lot more outspoken as you say uh, earlier in my introduction you know i've taken to doing public speaking um i was proud to speak at an event in july last year um basically explaining this story in front of 100 people which I never expected wow. in a million years that I would do. Yeah. Um, and, you know, obviously that was really well appreciated by those that were in attendance. Um, you know, people came up to me during the interval because I was one of a few change champion sort of makers that night. And, you know, people sort of said, oh, I'd really like to hear more or would you like sort of diversion more? And, in this sort of area and that sort of thing and you know that I think communication is so underrated it you know we all do it in our own way I mean I'm hoping to set up a blog website again later this year I did have one 
a few years back, but obviously because life's been up and down with education and that sort of thing, I had to put it onto the back mm. burner. Um, so my written communication, thanks to my degree, obviously has improved, but my verbal communications obviously improved as well. Um, so, you know, there are different ways of communicating. And as long as that voice is heard in one way or another, I think that can help empower people, I think, or so being able to celebrate yourself, you know, being able to celebrate that diversity of ourselves, you know, we've got so many different sort of interests ourselves and actually shouldn't be afraid to say, I'm proud to be this or I'm proud to have that on my CV or whatever it may be. I think we've just got to be proud of who we are and make those sort of calls that people will find us who are no matter who we are really because actually there's a lot of good people who will appreciate who we are um i'm lucky to have now friendships with a lot of different people you know i see people with all sorts of interests and having that Mm. patchwork quilt almost of different people of interests and motivations inspires me to keep being myself at the end of the day rather than trying to follow the crowd just for the sake of it yeah fred can't see me at the moment because um we're doing this over um zoom so uh but i'm grinning ear to ear because i just feel so incredibly empowered myself from listening to fred about celebrating the differences that we all have no matter what they are or how small that that it we might think that it's nothing to to write home about or nothing to shout about, but actually all our interests, all our experiences, all the connections we've made through the, the lives that we've had are important and are interesting. And actually by celebrating and lifting ourselves up, we're giving uh, others permission to do the same. Um, and I mean, I, I feel, Fred, from listening to you, that that is exactly what you've done with your own life. You have given permission to so many people to say, you know what? Yes, I'm neurodivergent. I'm autistic. I've got ADHD, whatever. Um, and I'm proud of that. And there's so much more to me as well. Do, is that a fair summary? Absolutely. You know, I mean, I've always wanted to sort of give people that even playing field at the end of the day no matter what they are you know I mean as much as I have my political opinion and that sort of thing you know I'm not going to sort of cross swords with someone for having a different political opinion yes yeah you have to be tribal in certain political environments but you know at the end of the day I recognize people have got their own verdicts it's the same with supporting a football team you know I can respect other people's opinions on different football teams and that sort of thing if if someone wants to support Arsenal then they can support Arsenal for all I care you know um, and it's the same with you know if they're neurotypical or neurodiverse at the end of the day we've just got to be positive about that aspect of our lives and say look you know don't treat me any differently but at the same time in let me be myself because at the end of the day we can't thrive if we're not ourselves oh my goodness that is such a beautiful a beautiful sentiment 
to end with and it's so true fred honestly i cannot thank you enough for your time and sharing your incredible lived experience of autism it's been really revealing emotional um, and empowering and i just want to say from the bottom of my heart thank you so much for for talking to me today thank you for giving me the opportunity i mean it's say if people do want to reach out to me i'm you know they can always say drop me a message on any social media or you know if they want me anything then i'm happy for that to go public fantastic i will pop your um social media handles into the show notes well that's it for today and if you want to work on anything relating to your emotional well-being and empowerment in a fully supported way then you can also pop over to codesignwithfliss.com and we can talk more about creating the future that you hope for thank you so very much for listening now we know more about autism and now we know the way forward Thank you.